Hey, what's going on? Greetings and good day, and welcome to Birds All Day number 199. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are here. It is very cold outside, but inside the stove is hot. Talking about your Toronto Blue Jays, and, and joining me uh, as always. Holds reliable. Mr. Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, how are you? I'm all right. I feel I said that in my uh, my best radio voice, which is admittedly not very good. Yeah, voice is fun. We've had this discussion have, before. Yeah, I I had to uh, I got to do the public address announcement for a um, a girls <laughs> a young girls hockey game on on uh, Sunday, and I would be lying if I didn't get a kick out of it. I I have no doubt that you got a kick out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why is that the sound of my own voice I hear coming through large speakers? Goodness me, how did they know that I would have enjoyed or would have liked to do this? Uh, but anyway. We're talking about uh, the hot stove. Hot stove is hot. The uh, the hot the hot stove yeah. finds the Blue Jays. <laughs> they're out there. They're making moves. You know, they're not just standing pat, sitting on their hands. They went out and they signed a sh- uh, middle infielder named Freddie Galvis, a shortstop. In fact, they sure did. And yeah. That's like that's the basis of this podcast. So if you're not on board early on, <laughs> well, talking about Freddie Galvis, well, let me tell you. Well, you see what what they have, and I mean, you can bookmark this, everybody, and and, and quote it back to me uh, in about eight months or whatever. Uh, when they when they make their surprise run to the American League Wild Card, uh, they're going. To, they need a, a, a top notch defensive shortstop uh, behind all those ground balling guys that are going to be, you know, of course. Pitching in the third, fourth, fifth inning after opener David Phelps and uh, and Ryan Tapera, you know, after they you know take care of business in the first couple innings, uh, it's 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 going to be quite remarkable, I think, to watch the uh, the turnaround that this team has, how quickly it's going to be with you know once you have Phelps and Galvis on board, uh, the future, the potential is limitless. Well, you know, you don't want to spend too much money because then the other teams will get mad at you. Um, you can't you can't go out there aggravating the other owners. You really have to think about the fans, the fans who have been clamoring well, for yeah. another middle <laughs> infielder. Well, okay, well, so yeah. here's my thing. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. Before we, I'll do my thing. I'll ask you. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think? What What do you think about signing Freddie Galvez? Do you have thoughts? Is it worth having thoughts about the Freddie Galvez signing? It seems a little weird, I guess, to have to be paying like twenty five million dollars for Tulo to not play for you and for Freddie Galvis to play for you. Uh, though I understand why, you know, it's maybe unfair to <laughs> to see the connection, except that they play the <laughs> the same position. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, and you know they didn't you know, they didn't have to pay Tulo to play for the Yankees, but uh, uh, obviously I think Galvis's durability is something that they value. Uh, his glove is something that they value, and uh, he's much like I said on Twitter when it when it happened. He's like the shortstop version of Kevin Pillar, uh, switch hitter, of course, but uh, but also an abysmal hitter, uh, a hitter nobody wants to see <laughs> to see come up, and will just add another weight onto the back of young Vladimir Guerrero's uh, shoulders as he tries to drag any sort of offense out of uh, out of this team. Uh, which he's going to do because you know these these guys are are competitive. They're going to be going out there trying to win games, and uh, you know I see Galvis as a, a, maybe not an indictment of Loris Gurriel's glove, or but at least uh, 
uh, an acknowledgement that it may not be ready. And also that, you know, having, if you have like trade bait pitchers like Clayton Richer and Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman, who are going to get you a lot of ground balls. Yeah, maybe, maybe having somebody uh, with a pretty good glove at shortstop is, uh, is a good idea. So it makes sense in that the most like cynical reading of it, I guess, but uh, they really haven't given us any reason to read it any other way. So your reading of it is actually a little bit more um, uh, sympathetic. Maybe is sympathetic the word. Oh, that's that's it, my that's my job. It's <laughs> as the as the president and CEO. Well, you, you know, <laughs> it, it's tough to wear two hats as you do. <laughs> but yeah, obviously the Blue Jays' defense in 2018 was abysmal, terrible. Oh. Uh, your colleague John Lott, the uh, the the baseball writer that we all aspire to be, is um, uh, wrote extensively about how bad the Blue Jays' defense was and how it was uh, definitely something that they wanted to improve. But do you not? Yeah. So you mentioned Troy Tulowitzki. They're paying Troy Tulowitzki to go play somewhere else because of the. I, I would say the intangible factors of of removing Tulowitzki from the mix has value. Yeah. And we spent, you and I talked to each other up like, oh, this gives them a chance to look at, or Urania, to look at, it's all going to be, but now they have their, this is the, the raising the floor, the nominal raising of the floor in terms of like the credit card hops is what they call a basketball where you can jump high, you could only jump high enough to slide a credit card underneath the sneakers when the guy's in the air. That's what this is. They've raised, <laughs> they've raised the floor up one credit card at a time. Now, I will believe you if you say that they value defense and that is the reason that they've gone and done this but do you not remember like three months ago when they had a Ledmis diaz in the mix and then they just fucking traded him and now they've brought in a guy who is a better defender but a worse hitter absolutely than than a Ledmis diaz i don't know that he's a better player i mean who what's and it, and it He's not a better player than Alexis Diaz. Maybe if you want to be take a squint and and use your Shapiro eye and think this is the things that Galvez does well are more valuable to the Blue Jays than the things that Diaz does well, which was hit the ball over the fence. But at the same time, I, we were talking about something, and so uh, a guy, uh, low fashion lover, tweeted at me today something basically saying. Uh, I hope you enjoy baseball as some sort of futures market profit sharing business model. <laughs> and I really think that that is a lot, a little, it gets really to the core of, of what this is yep. about when you, when you bring the, 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 the Diaz piece in and you bring the Galvez piece in and you think they traded Diaz because someone else valued him more than they did. And they had, they also, the, the, the return they got on, on, on Diaz was greater than the than the cost of acquisition. So they've done well in terms of asset management. And then the same thing with Galvis, where the the deal they signed for Galvis is very cheap. Uh, I know the fan graphs, uh, the fan projections, which have been obviously way off this year, but they had him projected as like a two year guy with you know a, a lot more money behind it. Maybe I think it might have been sixteen million dollars. I don't remember offhand. Yikes. Okay. So. They see now the the acquisition cost is low for Galvez. It was low for Diaz. They they uh, they sold high. Now they have an opportunity to get him get Galvez at a discount, and then they can maybe let him play and turn him into a trade ship. Maybe, but again, it's 
so yes, they did. They have sh- re- recognized that value on Diaz, or they 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 did well in terms of buying low and selling high, and now they're going to look to do the same thing with Galvis. With well, in the meantime, he provides defensive stability, and uh, I, I'm not sure who I saw write it today talked about his ability as a teammate. Uh, seems like front offices like what Freddie Galvis brings as a as a guy uh, you know, around the kids, whatever. But these are such marginal moves that is this really like what we're after? Is this is this what we like? Is this the makings of a successful franchise? Are this, is this the stuff that it takes? And if it is, then like, OK, but that doesn't mean I as a fan, you have to enjoy it. Right. Like, uh, no, I guess those are two separate points. The number one is, are these in tiny incremental you know, cobbling of, of value, minute value here, minute value here. Or am I to believe that that's all going to somehow add up and culminate in a winning team by scraping the resin of value from the fucking bong of life? Is that what we're doing here? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think uh, as the person looking at it a little more positively, I guess, I, I if it was just value for value's sake, I think you'd have more of an argument. But I think you can see why they prefer the shape of having Trent Thornton for six years and, and Freddie Galvis for a year and a half and then, you know, maybe can trade him because they have, you know, a Bichette or somebody else, you know, you know some guys who are going to be able to play that position. You know, you didn't, like, uh, I forget how many years uh, that Diaz was, you know, still under club control, but it was like four or five years or something like that. It was like he still had a lot of I think control. I think 2023 he's a free agent. Yeah, and I mean, he just, you know... Partly, I mean, he was acquired to be dealt eventually again, I think. I, I think, like, uh, candidly, uh, I, I, Ross Atkins basically told me that. Uh, but uh, or I think last year he was just like, yeah, we might flip him, you know, we might trade him again if we feel that was the thing. You know, uh, uh, like, if that was, if the, a better trade, you know, a better opportunity came along. Uh, but I don't know that it's just, like, trading opportunities and looking at value as, you know, one-dimensional. I mean, I think that, you know, Thornton makes more sense. Galvis, as a piece here, makes more sense. I think, I, you know, I think that they are absolutely just operating on the margins and, and trying to get those kind of wins in terms of, 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 you know, picking up whatever value they can. But I think that it, I, I suspect that the, the thought is that, you know, the more value you're cobbling together, the higher value your franchise has. I mean, being able to, if, if you know, you could probably trade Thornton for something good too if you felt you didn't need him as pitching depth, right? I mean, I think that, that just continuing to raise that, uh, the amount of, of value uh, of assets that you hold, which is such a weird dehumanizing term to be using for it, but that's how these guys are thinking about it. Uh, I can see how that's, you know, how they want to operate. And I can also see that, you know, I'm not like praising these moves as like as great things, but you know, I don't know. Thorn- having Thornton make sense. I think he's a, a a guy that covers an area of their roster that was more important uh, to add depth to than than here because it's also harder to acquire uh, a starting pitcher with you know that much control left, and you can apparently go out and get a shortstop uh, real cheap, and it doesn't matter if he hits because it doesn't matter what happens this year, and if he plays good defense and helps some of your pitchers become better trade chips, then he's helping your organization. Uh, and yeah, no, I, to, to the second question you asked, no, I don't think fans have to like that at all. 
I tweeted today and it, it, it stuck with me a bit about, uh, about just the fact that teams are not spending right now, uh, as we all know, uh, and hadn't sort of thought about it in this sense, which is that if they, if they're, if they're hoarding revenues in the next couple of, you know, over the next couple of years, next couple of winters, uh, if they, you know, one, uh, that just, uh, you know, if you're thinking about it in terms of the Blue Jays, it's like, oh, so they, they made more money than they should have on their books really, because they didn't pay out players as much as they maybe could have. Uh, and so when 2022 happens or whatever happens with the fucking labor situation, uh, the owners are, you know, they would have been fine anyway, but now they sort of have a bit of, of unspent revenue that, oh, look at this, we're, this game is going to be shut down for a year, and they're going to be able to float along much more easily on some of this money they just haven't bothered to spend than players who, you know, are, are do very well for themselves, but, uh, but are going to start feeling the pinch of being on strike uh, uh, much more quickly than the owners are, especially, you know, the guys who only make 500,000 or who, you know, only make a million, which only in fucking giant air quotes, obviously. But, uh, but you know, that the players don't really have much leverage other than to go on strike here, right? I mean, they don't have, they don't have a lot of things to concede based on the way that the, the, the economics of the game is set up. They've done very poorly, uh, in that sense. So, you know, maybe they could, I, I don't, I don't even want to start thinking about that shit, but it, it looks like they, you know, it could be a work stoppage. And in that, in the event of that, uh, you know, the, it's, it's really just a, a, a war of attrition sometimes rather than, you know, trying to bargain your way into, uh, in, into, you know, just making a deal that makes sense. It's about grinding the other guy down and uh, and maybe that's what the owners are gearing up for in a little bit, in a little bit of a way, with the fact that they're just out here not spending, and I don't know, and and apparently in a lot of cases getting away with it. Well, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that was a little grim thought I had too. Yeah, it's like minus fifty degrees <laughs> outside. The Earth is is both melting and freezing at the same time. Uh, the sun was up for a good hour today, and uh, oh, by the way, they're already like stuffing the coffers ahead of the impending labor strike. I mean, uh, I, I, really, have no, uh, I have no idea if that's anyone's thought behind it, but it's a, it, it'd be a, an interesting coincidence if it wasn't, right? I don't know. Here's a bit of a sidebar. Coffers anyway, I guess. Here's a bit of a sidebar. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've wondered and have been wondering about before. And I think we've seen a little tiny bit of it. Are we now at the point? So you can get a shortstop. As you said, you can get a shortstop for, for nothing. You can go throw four million bucks and get a guy who can play every single day on bad, bad teams. He, is that is what he does. He plays on bad teams. Um, and he does his job ably, Freddie Galvis. But the team is bad, not because of him, but it's not ever going to be good because of him. Nevertheless. You met, you know, said, "Oh, there's value in having a guy like, uh, like what's his name? Isn't it Taylor Thornton? Tyler Thornton? Tyler Thornton? Tyler Thornton? Yeah. I think Are we right. getting Trent, to no, the no, point? It's, it's, it's is it it's Trent Thornton? Trent, oh, I get it? him and Tyler Thornburg mixed up. I think. Yeah, they'll do that. <laughs> um, are we at the point where all these things you can just go buy with money? And are we at the point? Are we getting close to the point where you could just?" Some rogue owner is going to think, fuck it. I'm going to spend a bunch of money on my team and we're going to buy a winner. 
or get close to buying a winner. Is that feasible? Almost. This is a, again. This is a bit of a sidebar. But are we kind of approaching that point where you could stock your team with enough decent players at enough? dog shit bargain basement prices that maybe you could build yourself a winner this is almost a little bit of what the brewers have done right the brewers have sort of zagged while everybody else zigged they don't have any top prospect they don't have any shiny you know stud studs coming through um that are that are leading their team they're not line to line like the astros or the red Sox with with homegrown talent they just traded a bunch of guys and got some good players back Maybe that maybe that that free agent team is out there. Maybe it's someone is just going to go nuts. And I mean, if so, Jason Stark, who uh, is also a colleague of yours, um, tweeted out like the all unemployed team, and it's that team still kind of sucks, yeah. right? Like you can't you can't make an entire team out of guys who are free agents now. But there are two, obviously, well, four very very good players who are there, and then there's guys who are could be very useful along the way. Adam Jones and Carlos Gonzalez and and uh, and a bunch of other dudes. There's some you know decent catchers that are kicking around. Uh, if you had Keichel already and Kimbrel and yeah. well, they're the they're the four. They're the, yeah. the Keichel, Kimbrel, uh, Machado, and Harper are the four good players. Yeah. That if you spend a bunch of money on them, you are buying sixteen wins for your team essentially, or maybe or or more. But it's going to cost you a lot of money. But like, there's a lot of I think that we might get one day get to that point where veteran players, guys who are 29, 30, 31, who still have a lot to offer, are going to be severely undervalued. And signing them for whatever that market price might be, if as they've suppressed the market to the point where there's value there. If this is all one big value play, maybe that's the maybe that's the next vanguard, the new moneyball. Moneyball 3.0, just pay a bunch of old guys. I, for one, look forward to it. <laughs> I can't wait to see the Angels pull it off. Well, the Jays have been doing that a little bit since Shapiro and Atkins got here, haven't they? You know, grabbing Hap and Morales and, uh, you know, seeking that value while trying to still be kind of okay. Um, Not unsure. And, you know, all, all these front offices are copying each other. And, and you know, they're, they're, you kind of say that half-jokingly, but that, that could be a thing. It's And it's just, it's also, I mean... Uh, you know, velocity is such a thing. So you get, you know, you get old so fast now compared to how you used to. And you, uh, and, you know, pitchers, I mean, you know, they're doing great things with, uh, like, uh, if you, I, I was just actually listening to uh, Kyle uh, Bodie of uh, Driveline talking to the guys last week on Artificial Turf Wars, that uh, podcast from the uh, former Blue Jays Plus guys, and uh, mm-hmm. which is, which was quite good, quite entertaining. And, and, uh, and Kyle was talking about, you know, uh, basically, like like using the stuff that they do in the lab and looking at the joint loads and looking at a pitcher's mechanic uh, mechanics to such a like granular level that they're thinking about how much more stress can be added or not, and uh, and are using that to manage the ability of them to uh, to you know stay healthy and to not overdo it in terms of you know the stuff they're trying to do to 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 build velocity for guys that said you know generally the harder you throw the more you know the more likely your people are to uh to get hurt and it, mm-hmm. we seem to be at this point where where yeah you're in the the, the most guys by the time they hit the big leagues uh are at the age where when they're now hitting free agency they're just you know nobody uh, nobody wants them anymore. It's uh, 
and and uh, and I guess that you know where it might have once been you know a thirty one year old or a thirty year old you can give them a bunch of years or I I guess for a bunch of factors beyond even the weird collusive and bullshit uh, factors I guess that's mm-hmm. how, that's sort of how things are are indeed going and yeah maybe that is maybe that is the what we're going to see a lot more of continuing to go forward at least until the fucking cba armageddon is that uh is that yeah you know a guy is gonna get a a year and an option or it is you know if you're looking for six years seven years eight years it's just maybe not ever gonna be out there because nobody wants to pay anybody beyond fucking age 30 unless you're staring at a 30 year old guy and can give him a clean bill of health so you've portended doom more than once already in this uh, short-lived podcast indeed but you also on the other hand and your day job you took a different tack and you said hey maybe the blue jays should uh spend all kinds of money they seem to have shed most of their payroll so why not get out there get in the streets and spend it now yeah why don't you why don't you summarize your work for us Oh, I can't remember what the hell I said, but that's basically the concept. I mean, a lot of it was looking at, uh, you know, where their payroll is going, which is uh, which is down. I mean, they they, their most expensive guys are coming off the books. Even the, you know, the guys who are coming to the end of their arbitration years, like Marcus Stroman will be expensive because he was a super two and he's still got two years left. Uh, But, you know, it's it's not inconceivable that unless they still, you know, sign a free agent, a free agent contract that Stroman uh, is going to be their only player above 10 million next year. And maybe nobody the year after, like that's, <laughs> that's just sort of the way that their roster has taken shapes, which means that uh, especially compared to, you know, the fact that they were running $160 million payrolls in uh, 2016, 2017, uh, there should be a lot of room there for them to operate. I mean, they're not a small market team and I know Rogers often, tries to run them that way and and a lot of people will you know will you can't really do much but accept that uh and you know whine about it as we all do but uh you know you would hope you would like to believe that even though attendance is obviously going to go down the revenue streams are going to go down a bit but uh just the way that the payroll is shaping up uh should give them a lot of room to put that money into big league talent. And and hopefully that is, you know, I think that that's like going to be a necessity for them. I mean, I hope they're not earmarking it for stadium renovations or for whatever else they, they think they, they need because uh, you know, it, uh, and, and generally, I mean, I said, I, you know, I think that, you know, they've uh, this year, they did the membrane of the roof, I think, and they've done some stuff with the roof and it hasn't seemed to have, you know, impacted payroll too much. So hopefully those are kind of kept separate. But uh, but yeah, they're going to. They could very easily absorb a lot of money and not put in jeopardy future extensions. You know, way down the line to a Guerrero or a Bichette or anything else or not. You know, they could they could very easily pay Bryce Harper thirty million dollars for the next ten years, eight years, whatever you want, whatever you want to say. Like they could they could do it. And I mean, that's the thing we say every year. You know, with respect to Rogers, because they, you know, it's always like, oh, it's such an, you know, it's such a valuable corporation with so much money. They, of course, they can do that. But we're, but when I say they can do it now, I even mean like within the parameters of the budget that they were running, like last year, they could, they could do a lot on the free agent market. They're not. I'm not entirely sure why they're not. I don't think that Harper would maybe take their money anyway. 
but that I mean that's kind of what I was was looking at uh, in that piece and and you know just sort of exploring the issue and 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 suggesting the questions we ought to be asking for example uh that being the case with the you know the fact that they are going to need to supplement this team with free agents uh isn't it going to be harder to do that in a couple of years when you know more than six teams are going to be actually active looking for free agents like maybe this maybe that is a good time right now to uh to take advantage of the fact that the Blue Jays can probably do something that a lot of those other teams can't, which is, you know, absorb that hit now, pay a guy $30 million to play a 2019 season where the team isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, and, you know, take a little bit of risk there in, ter- in, in return for uh, something pretty spectacular in the long term. You know, I mean, to add that kind of talent, you just, that is really, really difficult to do. And the door is just sort of wide open and teams aren't walking through. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, it's obviously very frustrating and strange, but especially with the Jays being so well positioned as they are to, uh, to take on whatever money they want in the coming years. I think there's a model for this as well. Uh, the Jason Worth contract sort of comes to mind sure. where the Nationals were not on the cusp. They were not one player away from contending and competing for the World Series when they signed Jason Worth and Jason Worth sort of oversaw some bad teams for a while but then the Nationals drafted you know Bryce Harper they drafted Steven Strasburg they had Ryan Zimmerman whoever else and the Nationals were very good uh for the for for the majority of Worth's contract and then of course they are the Nationals so they fucked it up like hopefully <laughs> hopelessly and irreversibly and Jason Worth became uh, like a real problem <laughs> in the front <laughs> office and uh, off yeah. the field. But uh, the the precedent is there. I just it, it's easy to dream on. Yeah. Uh, one thing one thing I am worried about though, if the Blue Jays do send the send the um, the payroll back up, if they do splash this a bunch of cash and sign in, in some miracle where he took the money, Bryce Harper, uh, the ticket prices are going to go way up. Right. I mean, right now I'm looking forward to the ticket prices going down because that's how it works. That's how I, that's how we're, that's how it works. The salary, the salaries go up, the ticket prices go up, the the salaries go down and the ticket prices go down. They make the tickets cheaper. There's a direct relationship between those two things. I've seen it. I've, I've been told that a hundred thousand times. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see your sarcasm yeah, no, there. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it, it's a pipe dream, obviously, because it's just never going to happen. Because it there, there's an one of the things that guys like you and I have to, in our own small way, is socializing the idea of being smart uh, as a team and not wanting your front office to run around willy nilly throwing money at throwing good money after bad. And doing silly things and giving bad contracts away and 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 wasting you know squandering money that could be spent elsewhere because that's what we've been harping on for however many years. But at the same time, now the idea is just like, well, don't spend, don't spend, don't make the team better. What's Bryce Harper going to do on the 2019 Blue Jays other than cost them a draft pick? That that not only would he cost them a draft pick in terms of the compensation, he's going to cost them a draft pick in terms of their relative draft position, which seems like 
I mean, I can't. I'm I'm searching for a straw man that I haven't even found, <laughs> but I'm sure there's an element of that of 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 the very extremely brain genius fans who want the team to be as bad as possible. Like, is that is that is that does that need to enter into the calculus of the front office? Is that do you think that's what they're after? Like, we're really gonna they're gonna try to position <laughs> themselves for a good for a better draft pick, or is it more about developing the players that they have? I mean. I, how how cynical are we willing to get here? I, mean, I think I think they've given us reason to be pretty cynical, right? I mean, I think watching this game as we have over the last decade or more, uh, as closely as we have, yeah, there's been a lot of reasons to be cynical. I mean, uh, the draft pick thing—that's you know—I don't think that's that's the like a direct thing, but maybe that is a part of the puzzle. A part of me worries that you know uh, the idea that hey, they should just be in on Harper anyway. If for no other reason to drive the price up for somebody else and to stick it to another team, but maybe you know if you're the if you're in the front office, you're like, oh no, don't drive player salary up because we're eventually going to have to spend money on players ourselves, and so we're hurting ourselves in the long term by even entering into you know a futile attempt to to get this guy, and maybe that's why people are are you know maybe that's why they're they're so shy about you know making even a grand gesture that is ultimately. Uh, you know, they know it's not gonna gonna go anywhere. Uh, but th- that's super cynical too. But I, I, you know, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. They are obviously not thinking about uh, long term budgetary implications uh, in the same way that fans are, and it's their job to think about it. But you know, I, I am not willing to uh, <laughs> to just you know, throw my hands up and say, well, they must know what they're doing then. I mean, there's something weird going on with the fact that nobody's out there uh, <laughs> just begging these players to come and play for their teams. I mean, they're really fucking good. It's it's, it's completely bizarre. And uh, I don't know, did you see the, tw- the, uh, the, the tweet thread from uh, Jarrett Seidler uh, today I- about, the, about horse racing and about, uh, you know, how... How the whole thing collapses in on itself, and if if you know the game stops being like a good faith competition among thirty owners to try to win, like it just it mm. breeds apathy to 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 be sitting here week after week, <laughs> fucking year after year, talking about arbitrage and like uh, arbitrage, however one might might say it, and like mm. uh, and service time manipulation and all these like instruments of the CBA and of the business world uh, on a fucking baseball podcast, you know? No, that that's totally, totally fair. Totally, um, it's not inaccurate, but it's sort of the. I don't know. It's just we're so easy to. It's so easy to believe that everyone is just thinking the same and they value the players the same. But I think that it's one of those points where the 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 important part of the message has been kind of left behind, and it reminds me of the idea idea idea, idea where it was like, don't pay for relief was like the thing that it used to be don't pay for saves a guy collects saves doesn't mean he's a great reliever and then so everyone was like oh yeah no don't you don't want to ever like give a closer a big contract because he's old if just because he's old and used to get saves all the time but then it became clear with uh, who andrew miller was was maybe one of the first ones or just guys 
oh, if you sign a good reliever, like it's good to have good relievers. Get as many good relievers as you can. And saves are not the mark of a good reliever. But everyone was like, nope, don't ever pay for a reliever. That's stupid. And then the teams that were doing that were smart. And then and then now it's like, yeah, don't throw brainless money around. Like you don't give, you know, the Juan Pierre's of the world these crazy exorbitant free agent contracts. But But if you have the chance, if you have money in your budget... When you see a 26-year-old guy who's on a Hall of Fame track who plays up the middle or who is a guy with a 100 with a 190 weighted runs created plus and is not so distant future, still 26, incredible power hitter, those are the guys you want to spend money on. And people are like, nope, free agency's bad. Full stop. All the way across the board. Like we've we've lost in, – in our in – our, and I, I, I we have to, again, in our small way, as you said, for 10 years we've been having these conversations, except that as – part of the narrative that we've been regurgitating that like free agency is a, is a fool's errand, but it, it is in terms of, of, of just spending money for the sake of spending it, as opposed to being like, that is a great player that will make my team better. And, and the thing I'm going to keep coming back to, and we, you, you touched on it, but at the same, you know, in terms of looking down the road, well, in 2020, it's going to be Mike Trout and Mookie Betts on the free agent market. And next year, it's going to be, you know, Aaron Otto and Paul Goldschmidt and Anthony Rendon and whoever else. Like, that, that they're, they're not going to change it. If not, literally, if not Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, then fucking no one ever is going to get paid. If you can't find the money pay those guys, if you don't think they can make your team better, then you'll do away with the entire thing. Because it's a charade at this point. If you can't find it in your in your in your budget to improve your team by that amount, to have that kind of talent concentrated in one guy, who then only takes up one spot on your roster. If you can't find the money to pay them, then what <laughs> the fuck are you doing? I feel that we're like two or three more back and forths from just fucking screaming about this. Uh, because yeah, it is, it is a charade. It's a, it's a, a, a total joke. And it's like, you know, the, not to be too like defensive because yeah, like a, a lot of the, the, uh, the worship of value for value's sake, uh, you know, that's, that's worth questioning. And that has sort of, uh, has sort of added and contributed to this, this problem that we're having, at least in terms of, you know, how, uh, what teams are able to allow themselves to get away with. Uh, that fans will justify, but it, it, the, the idea of, at least to me, always seemed to be, it's like, oh, great, they're getting, you know, okay, you're getting payroll down, you're making smart financial decisions so that you can then spend a lot of money to get really good players because that's what you have to do to get really good players. And it's like the teams sort of ignored the second part of that and they're and just like, nope, we're, we're just going to do the first thing and then we're going to keep all the money instead. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a, like a betrayal of of you know what it seemed to be the point of of thinking about you know how to put together a team in terms of the, all of this marginal value stuff and all the modern stuff that's sort of come in over the course of the time we've been been talking about it it's uh it, it was never it was never about reducing uh reducing payroll because you know that that's a way to maximize shareholder profits it was about reducing payroll you know if you if you were inclined to think about it that way so that when the opportunity to get a Bryce Harper in at age 26 onto your roster, uh, you were going to do that because it was going to be really good for your baseball team. Um, yep. <laughs> but but it's it's like there there's not even outrage about it. I mean there is, but it's uh, but even in like the weird echo chamber of Twitter, 
it's like, and maybe it's because the Blue Jays specifically lowered expectations so much, but I just, I don't, I don't see it. I think people, you know, maybe it's just the age we live in, the year we're living in, but people don't seem, it's not, it, there's, there's other better things to get outraged, I suppose, uh, this time in the place in the world. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, like, fuck, like the fucking Dodgers and Yankees are running from the, from the luxury tax. Like, I don't want those teams to get Harper, but running from the luxury tax and shit and, and God, just having to talk about it every fucking week is exhausting. It would be really nice if they signed. But it does bring us to the last part of the show, or the next part of the show, which is what I think is is providing the... It's still fueling the fan fire. It's it's Fans have taken our attention, and we put it somewhere else. And one of the places that, that fans have put their attention, put their interest in, is prospects. Looking ahead. Because the incredible, again, coming back to that word value, that is offered by a young player who's making the minimum, who is stands to um, outperform that salary by such leaps and bounds to as to be such an unbelievable bargain that and also the, the not not really super teams idea but the teams that are good in baseball and Keith Law touched on this in his in his top 100 kind of preamble today that like you look at the good teams and you know, the Milwaukee Brewers who we've already discussed notwithstanding and the the recent history Blue Jays who have who were good at a finding the encarnaciones and the Bautistas of the world and not kind of uncovering those hidden gems and then also taking on other people's problems and making them their own. Um, but kicking that can down the road, um, the good teams are stacked. They're stacked with good young players. The Dodgers have it too. The Dodgers also have, you know, a guy like Clayton Kershaw who makes a zillion dollars a year, but he earned every fucking penny of that being their own homegrown guy. Who's dominated the league for the better part of a decade. So, the prospects are the thing, and the more prospects you have, that has almost like substituted. It has it has become the thing that you're cheering for. Where Rays fans, who are as prospect as process driven as anyone, are going to hoot and holler because they got nine guys in the top 100 on Baseball America, and the Padres have seven, and and then you know you have Law who points to the Royals, right? The Royals had the vaunted system, and they won the World Series by. Falling ass backwards directly into the World <laughs> Series with three top prospects that became like decent players. Oh, but anyway, uh, what a, what a dis- so, fucking disgrace the, the, the 2015 Royals are. <laughs> so, in any event, Keith Law published his top 100 list. So we we talked last week about the Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America, which both had Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the top of their list. MLB.com also put Vlad up at the top. Keith Law, eh, not so much. He went in a bit of a different direction. He's got Fernando Tatis Jr. as his number one prospect. Where where uh, Vlad is, of course, uh, he's number two, which is, uh, there's no shame in that. And uh, and he just kind of discusses the the things that we have all know and don't really talk about, which is, well, he, he does the thing where he focuses on what necessarily he doesn't do as well. The hitting is, on, is, under, is, is not necessarily taken for granted, but it's understood. But there's more to being a good baseball player and the top prospect in baseball like, in Keith Law's mind. Than just being, you know, preternaturally Hall of Family good at one thing. And so, I don't know. Do you have you've got rage? You got outrage? You got outrage left? Not for, for, not for, for prospect that. lists. No, I don't know. Shortstops are valuable. I guess I I can understand that argument. And who, you know, 
I, we keep being told that that Vlad is uh, is really good, and, and you see lots of reasons to think that he's you know exceptional among the exceptional and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's fair to think that he's his bat is not so far above what anybody else can do at the plate that it makes up for that difference. I it seems like a lot of other people think that, but um, I'd like to believe that, but. You know, I have, I have no, I have no ex- expert in which to, uh, in which to make that judgment. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't really matter anyway. But you know, we'll we'll see the results on the field soon enough. What bothers me actually about the the law prospect list is that fucking uh, Wander Franco, seventeen uh, year old doing. You know, people talking about him looking like Vlad, like you know, uh, signed a couple years ago, like on the same track, went to the Appy League and, and destroyed it. Uh, the, mm-hmm. fuck the Rays! The, the Rays can't get the next Vlad, and that's actually on on the uh, MLB Network. Like they had a little show, uh, 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 counting down the top prospects, their top prospect list. And I don't, I don't know if it was, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was Jim Callis who was like, "Yeah, he's like, he might be the next Vlad Guerrero Jr." And it's like we're already we're already making somebody the next Vlad. Uh, We've already got past Vlad Jr. Yeah, that's <laughs> well. Good. I mean, he should have been in the big leagues last year. So. Um, uh, <laughs> well, you know, the, the uh, law says that Wander Franco could potentially have like a 70 hit, 70, 70 power, yeah. 70 hit, 70 yeah. power. Well, I mean, unless unless that team goes to, goes to Montreal, shot? then fuck the Rays having fucking a, a Vlad of their own. Well, that's supposed to be like our difference maker. I'm angry about that. And now the, the Rays have like conjured one out of clay. Yeah. And stuck him in the middle of the diamond instead of at third base, which apparently we have to ignore the fact that Vlad Guerrero Jr. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is apparently only a third baseman in uh, in, in name only. Uh, other stuff from the from Law's list: uh, Bichette is number thirteen, so just on the outside of the top ten. Which again, it doesn't change anything, right? The fact that Vlad Guerrero Jr. is number two, not number one, doesn't change a thing. But and and that Bo Bichette is not a top ten prospect in baseball, but merely a top thirteen prospect in baseball. Uh, it's not that it doesn't mean anything. It's still a highly regarded prospect, a guy with a very high ceiling, a guy who has the potential to be a great player. Uh, and Law goes into uh, Bichette's base running, which, uh, God bless every single word of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. As it describes him running like <laughs> uh, like something large is chasing him and uh, uh, high, uh, over-the-top energy and confident style of play, sign... Me up. I'm ready to take all all that that you got to give. Over the top energy, playing like a maniac, pissing people off. Hell yes. So I, that's what that's what you need to keep the interest. Yeah, very somebody who's it. trying to start fights all the time. <laughs> You're absolutely here for that all the time. Absolutely. I mean, maybe not the fights, but uh, but yeah, well, no playing with like his hair's on fire. Goddamn right. No, I mean. After the baseball we've endured the last couple of years and are going to endure again, uh, you know, except for, as I mentioned earlier, the surprise run to the wild card thanks to opener David Phelps and uh, and uh, elite, <laughs> elite glove shortstop Freddie Galvis. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, having somebody out there looking like he's having a hell of a time. And, yeah, I, I think Locke called him a, a, you know, he says he's going to be a fan favorite. And, and that's great. And he was also, you know... Uh, he's still a little low on his on his uh, defense a bit. I think he said that uh, didn't like the footwork, but thought he'd be really good at second base. I don't know if he said elite, so I'm not going to put that word in his mouth. But 
and and you know even just talked about his swing and how it's you know still unconventional a lot of bat rap he said and mm. wasn't going to uh uh, uh you know it, it, but it, that it makes it but he makes it work and that his hand eye coordination is good enough that he thinks that you know uh he'll be able to continue to make it work which uh which those are the kinds of things that you want to hear uh because shortstops are very valuable i don't know if you heard uh Better than <laughs> I, I heard. There's this guy in San in this guy in San Diego just uh, setting the world on fire. Uh, the other one, the only other name, uh, Blue Jays name that's on Law's list is uh, Nate Pearson. Yeah, who I think is is not there. Twenty eighteen was in a lot of ways a lost season for uh, the large. Almost all the ways I would say, yeah, yeah. Other than uh, I. Other than like a bit of a star turn at the Arizona Fall League, where he was throwing 102 miles an hour and just embarrassing people after he shook off a lot of the rust from not really pitching yeah. all year, um, and and I think the the one thing that is consistent across all of the prospect evaluators when they talk about Nate Pearson or they look at him is like there's a real um, wide range of potential outcomes. Um, just because of where he is and what his experience level is, and and his, what his injury history has has been to this thus the to this point, uh, it could go in any one of a million directions, including top of the rotation, absolute stud, monster to um, the other yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I mean, either, like I throw in that hard, even if the the command doesn't come or if the second pitches don't come the way that you want. I mean, you know, you could you could envision him as a reliever at some point, and you know. Uh, so the, the spectrum is wide. It seems to cover a lot of ground that is very positive, right? I mean, it looks, he, he could be, he could be a frontline starter, people seem to think, and that's, you know, the one you want to dream on, but, uh, uh, but I, there seems to be a long way to go for that. And it's, uh, unfortunate that he lost so much development time, but obviously in the fall league, he showed, uh, exactly what, you know, have made people so excited, uh, you know, the tools that have made people so excited for him and about him, uh, and why, Mm -hmm. He just sort of, you know, he was a helium guy in the the, the draft in twenty seventeen, whichever whichever year they picked him, uh, and sort of just kept going up from there, and, and you know, continued to look really really impressive. Uh, and actually, on the Turf Wars Artificial Turf Wars podcast, uh, uh, Pearson is a guy who works at Driveline, uh, and they were saying that uh, the, he was committed to uh, to a proper NCAA program, and ended up going to a junior mm-hmm. college instead. And that was because of uh, apparently, according to Kyle, was the because he uh, because the pitching coach there uh, was you know just willing to work with him and work you know with his you know with with do the things that he wanted more and was just a better a better fit in terms of you know not not saying that Pearson wanted to call his own shots about about you know how to how to develop to develop himself as a pitcher and not you know listen to stuff but. Uh, uh, just sort of the kind of stuff that you hear a lot from the Blue Jays about letting pitchers and players uh, do what works for them and, and, and thinking mm-hmm. about player development in the same way. This is something where Pearson has already sort of been in that situation for himself and, and appreciates that and is something that hopefully bodes well for you know the way that he can get to work uh, in the Blue Jays organization and how they can uh, you know hopefully forge a uh, a a good uh, a, a good plan and a good uh, environment for him to reach his potential in i don't know uh but yeah no it, it, i don't like this spectrum of of uh, of potential stuff here he's going to be a stud let's go come on it's hard to uh to well i mean it isn't yeah, no, but no. i don't want to look <laughs> at the potential like 
the we, we the Jays had not had too many guys who were just that big armed, right? They haven't had that many guys who throw a hundred miles an hour. Ken Giles is 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 one who really really rushes it up there and, and can get it up to ninety nine or even a hundred. So anybody in the in Blue Jays colors who's out there just chucking it that hard is already is built in excitement. Yes. And 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 uh, and in Law's thing, he talks about his slider being um, it gets it's effective because he throws it so hard. Not that it's a great quote unquote great pitch, but still, ninety two mile an hour slider is great. I don't care what the shape. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's ninety two. It's moving like a slider. That's not easy to hit. Um, it's a, it, yeah, I don't know. That's it's, uh, it's just, it re- you remind me of like it's like what was it, like what did Dustin McGowan throw? You know, ten years ago when he was like, holy shit, this is the hard throwing prospect. You know. You know the next, the next one before his shoulder fucking mm-hmm. blew apart. Like I don't know, it, it, it's just so, so strange that you know. I think it was one. I think it's hundred hundred and four that uh, Pearson hit in the AFL. Hundred and four? Oh my yeah. god! Uh, I think uh, uh, McGowan probably threw ninety seven. I think Brandon Morrow threw it at like ninety eight, yeah. maybe at the most when he was around, and then he's been able to get it up to ninety nine or a hundred um, at times. But, but uh, yeah, no, they haven't. I mean, they had that Cindergard guy. They had that. Uh, <laughs> that Air- Never heard of him. Air- Never Aaron heard Sanchez. Of him. Didn't he know? get traded to the Yankees? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, somewhere like that. Yeah, Sanchez, not a, not the same kind of a big arm. Connor Green, obviously, that's not. The, that's oh, not the, Air- the guy. none of these pads are the one that you want. You really want to think about when you think of Nate Pearson. Are you talking about finesse ground ball pitcher Aaron Sanchez? Yeah, basically, yeah. Really gets by on. Well, you know what they say when he when he's tired, he's not throwing as hard. The pitch actually sinks more, <laughs> so it makes him that much more effective. He's so, like Derek Lowe. So it's Pat Tabler says, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's pretty crazy that. Um, that he led the that, league in the uh, ERA that one year, yeah. And then Marcus Stroman throws harder than he does now. <laughs> well, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where that all goes. That'll be interesting. Oh boy, I don't know. You got anything else? You got anything else to say? Is there anything else going on? I don't know. Uh, not really. Oh, I, th- I uh, really enjoyed uh, my colleague Caitlin McGrath had a piece uh, that came out today, uh, Wednesday at the Athletic about John Schneider the. Jay's new, mm. new. Uh, they have a weird. So they have just a, a completely vague title for it. It's a major league coach, I think, is his title. Uh, who, of course, managed in, uh, in Double A New Hampshire last year and in uh, Dunedin the year before, and has sort of risen with Vlad basically through the ranks of the organization, and uh, has had uh, a really interesting career. And is a guy who, you know, in her piece, there's all sorts of praise from, you know, Kevin uh, Biggio and Bichette, Danny Jansen, and guys like that who've worked with him. Uh, uh, just about what he, you know, what he is as a coach, and it all kind of folds into, uh, you know, what the what you always hear from Atkins, especially and Ed Shapiro, for, uh, about uh, about you know culture and how they want players to be worked with, and it really seems like you know they're the, uh, you know, obviously the players are going to say, you know, they're not going to shit on their coach, obviously, but uh, but it, it's <laughs> it's interesting how the messaging is all sort of pointing in the same way and hits on a lot of the same points. And it feels like that's sort of an effect of a concerted effort by the Blue Jays to uh, 
to you know get that stuff in line you know and it's a it's stuff where you you could think back to like things that atkins and shapiro said when they first got there you know atkins was always talking about like we want to define our values which seems so weird and corporate and and is is a little bit <laughs> is maybe more than a little bit it's absolutely <laughs> that yeah but 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 you know the and, and but you can kind of see it moving in this direction in that you know in the direction where they want it with the you know sort of almost coherently when you listen to you know Kevin Biggio talk about the you know what he thinks of John Schneider as a coach and and Atkins talk about his ability to integrate data and all you know how all of the threads kind of uh you know are lining up I don't know that that means anything necessarily good I don't know if they that means they've figured it out and are going to be uh, you know, getting better outcomes out of their prospects because of it, but uh, but they certainly seem to have had a goal in terms of getting a, an organizational way of thinking about a lot of things, and and you sort of you see it paying off, and you see guys who you know uh, fit into that mold and are, and and work in the way that they you know the Blue Jays like uh, like Schneider getting more and more opportunities, and just you you know you were we, uh, we've mentioned before Shelley Duncan is a guy who really smart interesting guy who uh, has a great re- reputation alexis Prodnicki talked about him on the podcast here once and uh and i don't know i thought that was really interesting uh, another thing not to pivot unless you had some schneider comments is griff we got to talk about griff oh yeah <laughs> griff All right, well we could talk about alexis Prodnicki who as uh who had been working with the great lakes canadians i believe the team is called it she's uh Doing stuff with uh, with amateur baseball in in outside of London, her hometown. She's taking a job with MLB.com. So oh, congrats nice. I to Alexis Brodnicki. That. That's great. She's going to be a reporter producer. So uh, picking up and working alongside Gregor and the T- the MLB.com team, working probably doing some away visiting clubhouse stuff, and then uh, and then uh, producing, uh, which is you know website stuff as, as I understand it. So congrats to her. And yeah, Griff Richard Griffin, longtime Blue Jays uh, columnist. At the Toronto Star, longtime adversary of yours, the source, uh, you know his <laughs> his, his still his <laughs> profile yeah, picture yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, has taken the director of uh, media relations, I believe, is the title it used to be, um, the job most recently held and for a long time by Jay Stenhouse. Uh, so yeah, Griff in the house, who of course he did the job for a long time with the Expos, as I understand, or worked in media relations yeah, PR, for the Expos. PR guy, yeah, yeah. And now he's the now he's the head getting out of the out the out the print game into the PR game. It's one of many, one of the the, the well beaten path between the newsroom <laughs> and the PR shop. Uh, so yeah, good for good, congrats to Richard Griffin. Yeah, no, it's great. It's I, I mean I think I think it's great. Yeah, I mean I, I'll miss having you know we were less adversarial obviously in uh, uh, in later years. Um, and then, especially after my friend Chris got shit faced in uh, <laughs> when we did a pitch talks in uh, in Kitchener, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you were, you were there. Were you there for that? <laughs> I, yeah, I was there. Uh, you yeah, and I yeah, were there. Yeah, we oh, went with Kevin. Oh God! Yeah, 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 yeah. Chris was uh, having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I also think. So, so we, we've talked a little bit about the kind of evolution of what it is that we do, I think, here and, and, the, and the types of conversations that we have uh, and have had and starting in the old blog spot days. And I think one of the, it changed the way that the, that the local, like the media types covered the games. It's definitely changed as well. And I think Griffin was one of the guys who sort of 
Like, I don't recall his opinions being so bad at the for the last like five years that's, as they were for the first yeah, five that's years. The, that's what you're trying to say, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think once JP Ricciardi left, the uh, the axe he had to grind became kind of obsolete. Right? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> but uh, yeah, congrats to Gretchen. Anything else? Any other news? No, that's about oh, it. That's Griffin, good. that'll it'll, it'll be weird. It, yeah, I wonder what that means. Like they'll get are, is birds all day going to get credentials? Are we going to be down there creating content <laughs> I don't on know. the field? I mean, it'll be easy. I mean, Stenhouse was easy enough to talk to sometimes. I mean, I think other people maybe have had other experiences, but I, he was always cool with me. But uh, but very. Uh, I mean, this means nothing to fans, I guess. But like, if you're uh, if you're in the media, like or you know he's like he's right there all the time and it's it, he, mm-hmm. like it's uh it's a big job and it's uh uh you know obviously and, and, and i don't know i don't know that this would be a factor but they've obviously taken a, a, a potential critic out of the way by removing him uh him from his duties at the start uh, giving him a, a plum job i don't think that <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that they're they're trying to buy off. i don't think steve simmons is going to be joining him anytime soon but uh but yeah, no, it'll be really interesting. Uh, I think was it Lot that said no oh, to be a fly on the wall of the first uh, the first media relations meeting with Marcus Stroman. Uh, they, you know, they have a bit of a sit down because I don't think Griffin Stroman necessarily always saw eye to eye. But uh, well, hopefully they can get the, the the professionalism can be there, and they could both understand that the other has a job to do, and while they're uh, each of their respective goals and aims were not aligned now they are and apparently i'm auditioning for griff's job yeah uh, <laughs> but yeah though i'm sure that they'll get they'll get past that and if not then they'll just trade him yeah or, the, uh, or it could be so real whatever the, the everything will be fine uh that is about it so yeah that's it for episode number 199 of birds all day uh keep your eyes out for a new video coming next week that I'm going to shoot tomorrow, I think. And keep your eyes, if you are a Patreon subscriber, if you're patreon.com slash birds all day, uh, where you can join some of the many who have been uh, with us for a long time. And I just want to make sure that we send a special shout out to all the people who have been with us since day one. Almost four full years of, uh, of birds all day on Patreon. There's a bunch of names. A couple of names I want to shout out. Jordan Tim is a guy who I want to send a special shout out to. Former colleague of mine. Great dude. Uh, thank you for your support, Jordan. And, uh, and Sarah Finley is another day one who I, whose names I was combing through the names, through the numbers. And, and I saw that those two names jumped out immediately. So shout out to them. And shout out to everybody who's ever uh, before, now, or since has, uh, has thrown us a buck or two. Uh, and we really appreciate it. And if you are a kind of person who maybe your credit card expired, don't be afraid to give another t- another looky loo. Because <laughs> you know it happens. It happens. So uh, you know if you think you're getting off easy, you you are. There's no you're no one is under any obligation to uh, to support us on Patreon. But if you do happen to support us on Patreon, keep your eyes on your inbox the next couple of days. Hopefully tomorrow for something new from us and that's about it uh if you hearing this on thursday and you have nothing to do on thursday night come down to the rivoli at queen and spadina and there's a pitch talks and i will be the host 
So come down and we can talk about the Blue Jays and uh, there'll be some of your favorite beat writers as well as uh, Keegan Matheson. He'll be there too. And uh, <laughs> I'm just... I I I I figured that I I didn't want to say that about like Caitlin because Caitlin, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Caitlin, <laughs> Caitlin McGrath, uh, Keegan Matheson, Nick Ashburn uh, from Yahoo Sports will be there, and then there's a Twitter panel as well. So baseball Jen and minor leaguer and uh, Cam Gordon, I believe, who's from Twitter Canada. We're all going to be um, talking about the talking about the Jays, talking about the off season, talking about the season coming uh, to ahead of us, and probably Vlad Guerrero Jr. So that's about it. And of course, uh, Stoughton, uh, prolific. Your story's already out. Yeah. What no, are you going to do tonight? Uh, well, I don't know. I got another one coming sooner than soon enough. I mean, the season's starting to creep up on us here. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's time to actually have to think about what this fucking team is going to be doing for the next several months. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. So uh, so for Andrew Stoughton, my name is Drew Fairservice. We will talk to you next time on Birds All Day.